Welcome to Sexual Craftsmanship, the podcast that teaches you how to develop sexual confidence and become a better lover using a system of practice suited for dating and sex in today's world. No experience necessary. And now, here's your host, certified sex coach, sociologist, and mega nerd, Sarah Martin. Hello, craftsmen. How are you doing today? Happy October. If you didn't already know this about me, autumn is my favorite time of year, and I also love the general October vibe. I am a total slut for pumpkin spice anything, and I get really ridiculously excited about Halloween Even though I'm an adult, I've never really grown out of that childlike glee about an evening of mischief and candy, because who doesn't like a little bit of sugar, and jack-o'-lanterns, etc., etc. So, I am delighted, and I've also got quite a bit coming up this month that I wanted to share with you. First of all, on October 8th, At 12 p.m. Eastern Time, so that's 12 p.m. noon New York time, I'm going to be appearing on the Wiltzig Erotic Art Museum's Tea and Sex series, talking all about pickup artists. Another fun fact, for those of you who don't know, I did my master's research about pickup artist handbooks, so I know more than any single human being should know, really, (laughs) about pickup artists and the history of the seduction community. So if you want to hear more about that, please come along and join us. I will include the link to their Facebook page in the notes for this episode. The talk is going to be live streamed to their Facebook page, so that's where you can catch it. I've also got a special episode of the podcast coming up on October 22nd, where I'll be welcoming special guest Dr. Sean Miller, He's a PhD in philosophy and an independent scholar focusing on the philosophy of love and sex, which includes sexual ethics, intimate interactions, and reforming gendered expectations. And we're going to be meeting up and discussing the power of sexual autonomy. You don't want to miss this one. So do remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast or hop on my mailing list to make sure you're notified when this episode drops. And importantly, I've also started a subreddit for the podcast. So if Reddit is where you hang out online, you can connect with us over at r forward slash sexual craftsmanship, or just head over to Reddit and search sexual craftsmanship, and you'll be able to find us that way. And indeed, if Reddit is your preferred way of consuming material by subscribing to the subreddit, you'll be sure to catch the latest episodes there as they release. Today, the topic that I'm here to discuss, this is a juicy one. So, is emotional vulnerability unattractive? And speaking of Reddit, this topic was suggested to me by someone from Reddit, and I would like to just give an anonymous shout out saying thank you so much for all of the contextual materials you sent me to support this question as I went into the development of this episode. So back to the question, is emotional vulnerability unattractive? This depends a lot on what you mean by emotional vulnerability and also what you mean by unattractive. 
though I don't want to be glib here, I really understand where the question comes from. There's a lot out there, in particular on the topic of men and showing emotions. You get the whole stoicism versus the modern man or alpha versus beta vibes, right? This is in the zeitgeist. And my lovely Reddit friend sent me two quotations, which I think are indicative of some of the concerns about emotional vulnerability in relationship. One of them is a really famous Brene Brown quote, and it goes something like this. I'm going to read it out to you. For men, shame is not a bunch of competing, conflicting expectations. Shame is one. Do not be perceived as what? Weak. A man looked at me one day after a book signing and said, you say to reach out, tell our story, be vulnerable. But you see those books you just signed for my wife and my three daughters? They'd rather me die on top of my white horse than watch me fall down. When we reach out and be vulnerable, we get the shit beat out of us. And don't tell me it's from the guys and the coaches and the dads, because the women in my life are harder on me than anyone else. Another example of this phenomena and this idea about emotional vulnerability, particularly from men being unattractive in relationships, is from the Amy Winehouse song, Stronger Than Me. And again, I'll just read these lyrics to you. Why'd you always put me in control? All I need is for my man to live up to his role. Always want to talk it through? I'm okay. Always have to comfort you every day. But that's what I need you to do. Are you gay? So it's a polarizing topic, right? And my view is that like most polarizing topics, I think it's because of some underlying tension. On the one hand, right, all human beings have emotions. It doesn't matter your gender or your social class or your age or your race or any of the various ways we choose to divide each other. Every single human being has emotions. Our emotionality is essential to the human experience and it is the older part of our cognition. It's, it's the more ancient part of our brain. And when we're in relationships, we want to be fully ourselves and that includes being able to show up with our emotions. And on the other hand, we've all been told in various ways what we should do when it comes to emotions. And for me, I think this is doubly so for men, right? There's a powerful picture painted in society that men shouldn't express emotions apart from anger. And this feeds through to many different behaviors, including how other people, so that's including adults and peers, treat little boys. This shit starts really early. In short, right, men want to be able to express their emotions because they are whole human beings and at the same time believe that to do so makes them less than or weak. The earlier examples of Brene Brown quote and the Amy Winehouse lyrics illustrate this tension really clearly. So just to get it out of the way up front, are there some people out there who are looking for a partner who fits inside of this, I don't know, traditional masculinity box? Yeah, sure. But what should matter a lot more to you? What does matter a lot more for you is what do you want for your relationship life? Is that kind of relationship 
the kind that you want to have and spend some time with this. Part of being emotionally vulnerable is accepting that some people just won't want to have this type of relationship and they may in fact not be anywhere near ready to have this type of relationship with emotional vulnerability in play. And I just want to say very briefly, I suspect in part that some of the appeals to gender roles in these examples, the Brene Brown quote from the man who was having books signed and the Amy Winehouse song lyrics, I actually think they're kind of a cop-out. And I think they really say a lot more about the women in these relationships not being prepared or able to be emotionally vulnerable themselves. But that's really a topic for another day, because today I want to stay focused on whether or not emotional vulnerability is unattractive. So the first thing to get out of the way is what actually is vulnerability? And there's a couple of definitions out there that I think capture the phenomena quite well. Mark Manson, I'm a huge Mark Manson fan. If you don't know who that is, go to markmanson.net and check out his writing. He's incredible. He defines vulnerability as consciously choosing to not hide your emotions or desires from others. And Brene Brown, the aforementioned Brene Brown, who basically spends all her time talking about shame and vulnerability, she defines vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So what I see in these two definitions of vulnerability is that, in a way, it comes down to being internally okay with the truth of who you are, and that vulnerability in this perspective is a form of courage. And let's all pause and remember, courage is attractive. In that case, if courage and bravery are attractive, what gives with the Brene Brown quote and the Amy Winehouse lyrics and this sense in the general zeitgeist that there's something flawed about emotional vulnerability and what's actually going on here? I think there's really three big things in play. The first one is that a lot of people, I find, make the assumption that to be vulnerable is, in general, a negative attribute. Whether this is conscious or unconscious doesn't really matter. Because what that winds up equating to is the idea that, therefore, emotional vulnerability must only apply to sharing negative emotions. And let's be honest here, when someone only shares their inner negative emotional world, that gets really exhausting over time. I think this is in part because for some people, it's actually far more vulnerable to consciously choose to not hide your joy or the things that make you really happy or the things that bring you a lot of pleasure. I mean, do you ever hide from your partner how much you love gaming online with your friends because that's how you connect with each other? Or do you only talk about generic interests on your dates rather than the fact that what you truly love is looking at the night sky with your telescope or watching plants grow because those things are fascinating and beautiful? Like, I really get this. This was me for quite a number of years of my life. Because when you give someone access to your joy, you're taking the risk that they might shit all over it. If someone shits all over your sorrow... To an extent, you already feel bad, <laughs> so it just adds some more pain on top of what was already there. 
But when someone shits on your joy, that can feel like a much bigger drop from this really beautiful place. When we connect with joy, it is beautiful. But again, my point being that having this really one-sided view of what vulnerability is can be really exhausting if the only thing you're ever expressing to someone are the negative emotions that, that you're having or the difficult emotions that you're having. The second thing that I think is going on, in particular when we look at this gender lens on, on relationships here, is I think some people of both genders really confuse expressing emotional vulnerability with an expectation of emotional labor. Now, a great deal many people are carrying a lot of unprocessed emotional pain. And I think this burden is extra heavy on many men, in part because seeking out mental health support is sometimes seen as unmanly or weak. But putting your partner in the role of unpaid therapist in your life, instead of taking responsibility for giving yourself the care that you need by enlisting a helping professional, that's not emotional vulnerability and it's unattractive. It's kind of as unattractive as, say, someone who becomes your friend and then is just asking you all the time to help fix their website or complete their data science homework. And of course, they're not paying you for this. They're just making an assumption because you have those skills that, okay, yes, I'm going to continually go to this person for help rather than build my own skills or offer to pay for that assistance. I have a sense of understanding here, right? I think the expectation of unpaid labor can be really unconscious because there's a lot of social messages that say you only talk about emotions with a romantic partner. And some people aren't even aware that they're making an expectation of their partner when they do this. And I just want to point out that that's what entitlement is. That's a lack of awareness of the expectations we're placing on others. And entitlement is really unattractive. I think this is especially an issue when your partner is your only outlet for your emotional processing. <laughs> think about it. If that's what you're doing, then you're not taking responsibility for yourself. You're straight up choosing to abdicate your responsibility and looking to a partner to quote unquote fix it. The thing is, it never gets fixed. You stay stuck in that emotionally reactive and dysregulated place and you get into a cycle of returning to your partner over and over to help release some of the pressure until you're ready to burst again. I've got to say it, managing someone's dysregulated emotions is a lot of work and work isn't sexy, right? You know, before I continue, I just want to say, like, I get this because I've been in this place before in my life, before I developed better self-soothing and coping skills and a better network to rely on for support. And I know when you're in that place, it's really like you need help in the moment. That's just the feeling and it's very strong. And at the same time, if what you're doing is just going to one person over and over every time this happens... You're not changing the pattern. You're not giving yourself any more peace, and you're certainly not giving them very much peace either. And so to, to kind of bring it into reality for you, 
A really clear example of this phenomenon is people who go on first dates and spend a great deal of that date venting about their frustrations with online dating or the other variant, rehashing their recent breakup that has led them to dating again. (laughs) If you've ever done this, this behavior is why either you're not getting second dates or you find that you're only getting second dates with people who are looking to manipulate you because people who want to manipulate others look for easy targets or people looking to fix you or people who themselves are clingy or needy or emotionally dysregulated. So that's something to pause for a moment and think, well, have I ever done that? And maybe this is what's behind some of the frustration that I'm experiencing. The third big thing that's at play here is a lack of boundaries. So, I mean, what I've seen is what some people think they're doing when they say they're being emotionally vulnerable is that they're actually trampling all over their partner's boundaries and they're also completely unboundaried themselves. When you don't have boundaries, when you are not contained, that is unattractive. This could look like, for example, you decide you want to talk to your partner about your emotions. You initiate the conversation and then suddenly it goes on for hours and hours and is mostly one-sided. So that's you sharing something painful, them listening and receiving your share. And this could be a verbal conversation. This could be a text conversation. And in both cases, right, what happens? The emotions keep ratcheting up because you're poking them, you're stimulating them, you're bringing them all to the surface at once. And down that deep, dark rabbit hole you go. And the thing is, once one of these cycles gets started... It's also really hard to stop because you're never arriving at the emotional peace you're craving. You're just activating yourself more and more. And please understand when I'm sharing this with you, I have been there. That's part of where I can speak to this experience. Another way that this can manifest, this lack of boundaries, that can look like diving right into sharing deeply personal and honestly, potentially triggering stories with someone very early in a relationship when you don't really know them yet and where they're not yet prepared for this level of intimacy. In general, boundary people build up trust together over time. And if you jump right in when the other person is not expecting it, you're displaying a lack of boundaries and that's not sexy. Because think about it, right? If you lack boundaries in this area where a lot of people are a bit more hesitant and reserved, then where else do you lack boundaries? And importantly, as I alluded to earlier, you may not give any thought to how what you share could affect the person listening to you and holding that space for you. An example that comes to mind is if you suddenly launch into sharing your grief at, I don't know, for example, your father's death with someone you don't know very well, You might have no idea, for example, that their father just recently passed away and they're not ready to talk about it. Or maybe their father was absent for their life or they might have another charge associated with the topic. And this lack of empathy is really unattractive. If you're with someone who is displaying a lack of empathy for you, 
it's kind of risky to be in a relationship with them or have sex with them because it means they're not considering your experience when you're together. They're only considering their own. In short, then, if you're only sharing negative emotional experience or you're expecting others to perform emotional labor for you or you're lacking boundaries, like all of these are not attractive and also all of them are like a really cheap, shitty knockoff version of what's actually waiting for you if you decide to walk the path of true emotional vulnerability. I know a lot of you want to build relationships that are infused with emotional vulnerability because, like, duh, (laughs) you want to be able to relax and just know you can bring your whole self to the relationship. It's not really that complicated a desire, right? I want to outline four actions you can take in order to set yourself up for having emotionally vulnerable, fulfilling, sexy, amazing relationships. Number one, take personal responsibility for your emotional life. And even though I'm saying personal responsibility, that does not mean you do this alone. In truth, you can't. You have to ask for help. That is part of the process. And guys, I'm going to say it, right? This includes going to therapy, though I'd really like to normalize this a bit. The best way to think about therapy is that it's like doing normal maintenance work for your brain, kind of in the same way that you get regular oil changes for your car. It helps your brain to keep running smoothly and to avoid overheating. So that is a super apt metaphor, and I am sticking to it. But what this also includes is taking personal responsibility for for your emotional life. That means maintaining friendships and other relationships where you're able to share what's going on for you. Because when you distribute sharing about your emotional life across a network of people that you really trust to help you, then no one single person is going to become overburdened. Number two, begin as you mean to go on. Be willing to be emotionally vulnerable from the beginning of a relationship and do so in ways that are commiserate with how much trust you've mutually built with someone. Remember, it's not dumping everything straight up front. That's a lack of boundaries. So what do you do instead? That can look like being honest on your dating profile about what you actually, what you actually love doing and what your actual dream dates would look like, what they would include. Or that can look like sharing with a date some of the things in your life that bring you a great deal of joy, and then getting curious about what brings them joy and meaning too. It also means that when they share with you, treat those revelations with care, because you know they're coming from that same vulnerable place. Starting from joy, even though it can be, even though it can secretly be way scarier to start from joy on a personal level, it's often much more appropriate to very early in a relationship because it's less heavy. That means considering how the other person may experience what you're about to share. And if you have any doubts, you can always ask first. You could say, hey, can I share with you a little bit about X? And if they say no, then just respect it and move on and come back to it another time. But again, yeah, that starting from joy, starting from 
what makes you happy starting from what you like doing genuinely but like truly like doing I see a lot of people who hide behind really generic statements on dates or on their dating profiles and it's that's not the way to have an emotionally vulnerable relationship so if you hear yourself in that that's a really great place to begin number three Spend some time processing emotional experiences before you share them. So remember, (laughs) vulnerability isn't only about your negative emotions. And someone who's in the throes of excitement and elation about something, when they're in that dysregulated state, like that can actually be just as overwhelming and exhausting as someone who is in the, the depths of despair. If this is all new to you, this working with your emotions and processing them and developing this emotional awareness, at first you might need to spend some time working with a therapist on tools that can help you to self-regulate. What's also been really helpful to me in my life is come up with a plan of action for those moments of crisis that, that ensures that you're distributing the load while also reaching out for the help that you need. So for example, if X gets triggered in me, first I will do some breathing exercises to ground myself, then I will reach out to this friend, then I will play games for a little bit of distraction, and then I'll check in with myself, and if I'm still in crisis, I will either call this hotline or reach out to my therapist, though you've got to make sure that your therapy agreement allows for that. The, The main thing being, though, and this is part of that taking personal responsibility in a way, is plan this out in advance. Like, <laughs> don't try to make a plan uh, about what you're going to do when you're deep inside of one of those despair spirals. Nothing good will come from that. Plan it out at some time when you're calm. Maybe even if you're working with a therapist, come up with an idea and discuss it with them about what you will do if this happens. And number four, set personal boundaries and make sure you're respecting the boundaries of others. Some of this will involve negotiating boundaries together with your partner. So something that's really useful is if you want to share with them about something where you know, for example, most of the focus of the conversation will be on you, set a time boundary and stick to that. So what that can look like is you might say something like, hey, would you have 15 minutes to talk with me about a frustration I'm having at work. It's okay to say no. And if they agree to that, then again, take responsibility for the boundary that you've just negotiated by setting a timer. You set the timer, you monitor the time, and you be sure to stop at 15 minutes if that's what you've agreed to. And this helps a lot as your partner isn't left wondering Geez, <laughs> am I agreeing to suddenly be here for hours and hours as my partner falls apart? Like, I really need to finish this thing that I'm working on, right? And it also, more than that, it establishes you as a person who respects boundaries. And that is sexy for so many reasons. So there is genuinely confusion about what exactly is meant by emotional vulnerability, it does get clouded by the kind of expectations and shoulds that people in general face and men in particular face. And if you take nothing else away, please remember that vulnerability isn't only about 
bad things that have happened or emotions like sadness or grief or sorrow or jealousy or hopelessness, right? Vulnerability is about making the decision to share who you are and what you want with the world. Fully accepting that like not everybody is going to dig your vibe. Emotional vulnerability, therefore, is about sharing the truth of your emotions, accepting that there can be a variety of consequences to that. Some people won't be ready for or won't want an emotionally vulnerable relationship, and that's okay. And let's remember, here is what's really fucking attractive about emotional vulnerability done well. Courage, self-awareness, responsibility, boundaries, selectivity, dignity, confidence, right? All of these things, I think we can all mutually agree, are attractive attributes. And remember, you don't have to do this alone. In fact, you can't actually do this alone. Reach out to your friends or find a therapist you like or reach out to a sex coach like me. You need to build a team of people who are there to support you if you want to live an emotionally vulnerable life. All right, craftsmen, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it. Also, consider subscribing or following this podcast so you never miss an episode. And uh, if you feel up to leaving a review, hey, that would be fun. (laughs) And either way, I'll catch you right back here next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to jump right into the sexual craftsmanship process, head on over to sexualcraftsmanship.com backslash friendzone and download your free guide to avoiding the friendzone for good, including five exact scripts you can use today.